Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. If this is your first time tuning in somewhere across the country, across the world in a different state, or here locally online, we wanna welcome you. If it's your first time at Banta or Franklin or Garfield Park or here at Greenwood, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for all of our first timers today? Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you are not new, if you're returning, we wanna say welcome back to you. My name is Danny and we're in a series right now called the art of living. What we've been saying, super quick review, is that life is a lot like art. And art is a lot like life. When you look at a beautiful piece of artwork, whatever it might be, a painting, a sculpture, a poem, a book, uh, a photograph, and it takes your breath away and you're like, wow, look at that. That's so beautiful or that's so amazing. Or maybe it's even someone dancing or something like that. Or even someone in the circus, I believe that's art too. Um, what you're seeing is, is something that requires incredible skill. You don't just go out there and create great art, right? You have to practice and grind and practice and grind and practice and grind and develop all kinds of skills to produce something beautiful, something that takes someone's breath away. I believe life is like that too. I believe that people that are creating a beautiful life, a life that when you see it, you're kind of taken back, like how is she doing that? How is he living so well? How are they, you know, their marriage, how is their, how are they doing that? Behind all, uh, behind a beautiful life, there is incredible skill. And that's what this series is really all about. If you want to create a beautiful life, if you want to paint something, sculpt something beautiful with the days that you have on this planet, it's going to require some skill. I'm so thankful that God has given us a book in the Bible. He's given us the whole Bible. I mean, it's all helpful to us. But specifically, he's given us a book filled with skills. It's called the book of Proverbs. It's actually written from a father to a son. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3, Solomon is saying, look, the purpose of these Proverbs is to help you to live a, a disciplined and successful life so that you can be, do what is right, just, and fair. A successful life being a beautiful life. We've, we've defined a successful life in this series as experiencing God's best in every area of your life, in the area of your emotions, in your relationship with God, in your finances, in your occupation, if you're married, in your marriage, if you have kids, in your parenting. A beautiful life, a, a successful life is experiencing God's best, what God intended for you to experience in that specific area, in all areas of life. And so we've been looking at these skills and what does it take to create that life? In week number one, we talked about the fear of the Lord, a deep honor and respect for God that causes you to, be, to avoid the evil and be drawn into the good, right? And I, I challenge you to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That's what it means to fear God. And then last week we talked about this concept of humility and how humility helps us to overcome this, this destructive force of pride in our life. 
Humility meaning that we have the appropriate view of ourselves in light of who God is. If you missed any of those, man, you can go back on YouTube or our church app and you can check those out. Today I wanna talk about a third skill. I wanna talk about the skill of enduring under pressure. Right now, this is so incredibly important. We are living in some tough times right now. There is chaos going on in almost every major city in our world, in our, in our country. There's, all, there's an election coming up. There's, difficult, there's COVID-19 is still hanging on and, and, and wreaking havoc. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going on in our country. And then there's all kinds of things going on in your life. Some of you are still working from home and trying to you know, do, do school with the kids. And, 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 there's, and there's, maybe you lost a job or maybe there's a relationship that's, 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 that's struggling. Or, we need to learn how to endure under pressure, especially today. In your notes, I wrote, I wrote the problem like this. I think the problem is that most people quit under pressure. I, I really believe this. Most people quit under pressure. And I believe it's because we don't have the skill that we need to be able to endure under pressure when things get difficult. Many years ago, I read, I read a story about the Darby family. Tell me if you, if you have not heard this story. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's true, but back in the 1850s or so, there was a gold rush out in Colorado, and, and everybody ran out west to kind of strike it rich. And there was this family, the Darby family, one of the uncles went out there and took some dynamite and a shovel, and sure enough, struck gold. And, but he didn't have any equipment or any help to mine the, this, this little plot that he bought. And, and so he goes back home and gets his family together and they purchase this mining equipment and they go back to Colorado. And I mean, he has found an incredible mine or vein of gold. And so, so they go at it, man. They, 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 they invest, they purchase the equipment and they start to get this gold out of the ground. And sure enough, it's like one of the richest veins or richest mines in Colorado at that time. And so they're digging, and then you know, their first you know, you know, barrel or whatever you call it there comes back, and they, you know, they're paying off their debts, and they're, they're almost back to even, right, where, they, where, where everybody's debts are paid off, and all of, a, all of a sudden, something goes terribly wrong. The vein of gold that they were mining disappears, and it's just not there. And they go at it, and they go at it, and they keep mining and going and looking for this vein of gold, but they cannot find it, they cannot find it, and they finally quit. They end up selling all of their mining equipment to a, a junk man who purchases the lot for $100. And he goes out and he hires, this junk man hires an engineer, a mining engineer. And he comes out and looks at the property and he says, well, <laughs> the, the owner didn't understand how, how things work in the earth and how the earth shifts around, but essentially the vein of gold should be about three feet over here. And so this junk man takes the equipment, starts mining in the direction that the engineer told him to mine, and he finds the vein of gold and ends up mining millions and millions of dollars of gold. The Darby family was three feet away from a breakthrough, and they quit. Wow. Most people quit when things get tough, when they quit under pressure. I remember myself, myself uh, back in 2006 when our church was going through a major transition. Uh, some of you were here for that. How many of you were here back in 06, 07? Yeah, there's not that many hands going up, but uh, our senior pastor, our founding pastor decided he was going to retire and move on. And, and I was the youth pastor at that time. And you know, he, he, 
you know, God was mentoring me, tapped me on the shoulder, and the elders, you know, selected me, and the church voted me in as the next pastor. And, uh, you know, I was 28 years old, and I was filled with hopes and excitement, and, you know, everybody, it seemed like all the teenagers in the church really liked me, which was cool, because if you give them pizza, and, you know, if you love on them and listen to their problems, they tend to, teenagers tend to like you, and, um, and so I thought, man, the adults are going to like me, too, this is going to be a slam dunk, but, but y'all are very different, see? You, loving Jesus and giving you pizza, unless it doesn't work. See, I tried that. And you're like, well, turn down the music, you know. <laughs> um, so, but, so I found out real quick that adults are different. And, and so basically the church struggled in a way that perhaps it's never struggled before. We, we went from about 2,000 in attendance just at this one location all the way down to 900. The offerings went down from like 70,000 a week all the way under like 30,000 a week. We had to let seven staff members go. I sat through every one of those, those, uh, those dismissals. Oh, it was horrific, it was horrific. I think back in my life, it was the hardest, difficult, most difficult time in my life. Because up to that point, things had, anything I was involved in kind of worked or succeeded somewhat, you know, and so now everything I'm touching is failing. Church is failing. People are leaving every single week. It seemed like another family we were close to just bolted or they left. It was so painful for me, for my wife, for the staff, for you, for those of you who stayed. It was so difficult. People were talking about us in the, in the, in the community. What's going on with Emmanuel? It's falling apart. It was, it was awful. And there were days where I just thought, I just need to quit because obviously I don't know what I'm doing. I can't pastor this church and can't lead this, so I just need to hang it up and do something else. And, and I wanted to quit so many times. <laughs> I remember a story, <laughs> it still tickles me to this day. I was up in the balcony after a Sunday sermon and for whatever reason that particular day I had put a tie on. And, uh, you know, and so this gentleman walks up to me and says, oh, pastor, I've been praying for you. So, Thank you. He said, I've been praying that you would you know, dress a little nicer and put on you know, some slacks and tuck in your shirt. I said, wow, that's what you've been praying for me? I said, I was, I was done. I was done. I was in the balcony. I was done preaching. I said, um, you need to pray for something different. <laughs> and he looked at me. <laughs> I think that's the last time he came to church. But anyway, I, I, was just, I was just done. I was done. It was like people wanted me to be this pastor that I wasn't, you know? And, and, and they wanted me to fit their, you know, their idea of what a pastor should be. And, and so, uh, you know, I wanted to quit. But I kept having this thought in my mind. If I quit now, 2006, 2007, I will never see what might happen. And so I didn't, my wife didn't, the staff didn't, many of you didn't. And so fast forward 2020, and as the campus pastors just talked about, this magazine just came out, the Outreach, Outreach 100. This is like, you know, the magazine all the pastors read across the country and, um, we're the fourth fastest growing church in, in the country. We're the 64th largest church in the entire nation. And when, I, when, I, when I see those statistics, I don't think about what that means for us as a church or cloud or, 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 or any type of, you know, like the pastor said, bragging rights. I think about the, the thousands of lives that have been changed. The thousands, I had a friend text me last night this morning, actually, he said, if you would have quit, I would have never found Jesus. The thousands of people that have been touched, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, if we would have quit back in 2006 and 7. In his book, 
Napoleon Hill writes these words, uh, Think and Grow Rich, he says, only those who push through failure and refuse to accept defeat can truly understand how far they can go in life. So true, so true. He continues, the fact is that the majority quit. They give up when life gets hard. The successful keep fighting. They find a way to win. Can I ask you a difficult question today? What are you tempted to quit on right now? Is it a marriage? Are you thinking about filing? Is it a job? Is it hope? Is it life in general? This last week I heard about a pastor of a successful church, founding pastor of a successful church committed suicide. Some people are just right, right there ready to just throw in the towel on their dreams, on their hope, on life, on a marriage, on a job. Here's what might be happening. This might be true. You might be three feet away from a breakthrough. Now, for us, back in 2006-7, we were two years away from a breakthrough, so I was really stubborn. I'm like, I'm not quitting. Like, but sometimes it's a little bit more than three feet, but you could be three feet away from experiencing some sort of breakthrough at work or some sort of breakthrough in the relationship or with your physical health, some sort of, if you give up. We need to develop the skill of enduring under pressure. Do you agree, yes or no? Do you agree? Especially in our world today. Here's what King Solomon said to his son in Proverbs chapter 24. So, so, so critical to understand this. Proverbs 24, Solomon says to his son, son, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. What an interesting statement. Son, if, 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 you, if you fall, if you, if you fade away when things get tough, that means that your capacity, your inner strength is too small. This word fail means to, to fall away. A couple of, couple of years ago when my oldest son was 16, we were on vacation in Michigan and, and we went out for like a, a, a three mile run. And so we we're just gonna go a mile and a half out and a mile and a half back. And so when we got to the point where we turned around, I was feeling pretty good. And at that time I was running many marathons and stuff like that. Uh, so I was pretty confident in myself. And Andrew was 16, so he's, he was kind of becoming a man and I wanted to put it to the test. I said, hey, I think I could beat you back to the house. You know, that the competitive juices kicked in and he's like, game on. So we start to pick up the pace. Now you can't sprint a mile and a half because you'll just die, right? So we start to just slowly get faster and he get a little faster and I got caught him and then I would push up and he would push up. And you know, we got up to, we were about a seven minute pace. It was pretty quick. And I'm like, I've got this. We're like a half a mile out. I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna crush him. You know, you gotta teach your son's lessons sometimes, right? So, so, uh, so I start to pick up the pace just a little bit more. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, gonna, really, I'm gonna really do this. And, and all of a sudden, he just finds this other gear. I don't know, I don't even have it. Never had, didn't even have it when I was 16. And he starts, he takes off. And all I could see is his calf muscles and his, you know, his hamstrings flexing. And, I'm, and, I'm, I, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm trying. I'm like, because ah, ah, my pride is on the line. I'm dad. I'm still kind of the king of the hill in the house, you know. And, and I could not catch him. Not only could I not catch him, I, could, I started to fall off the pace that I was at I, because I failed. The word means to drop off, to fade away. And I faded away. And he got all the rights to brag to mom when we got home. It was a capacity issue. This word pressure here, it's the Hebrew word that describes uh, constricting or being put in a, a small space or being confined, confined 
uh, or, or the, I mean, the idea is pressure. It's used actually to describe women giving birth. You know how the, contract, the contractions, I've never experienced this before, but many of you have, and it just squeezes and squeezes, and that, then that baby has to like get squeezed into this tiny, tiny little space and somehow come out. I don't understand how it happens, but can you imagine if you're the baby? I mean, your, your, your head is being squeezed. It gets smushed. Sometimes the kids, they, they, they come out. They look like aliens because they have cone heads. I mean, this is serious pressure, right? And then, then you got to put a little hat on them because it looks so terrible and like try to... Oh my word, how did you ever think of an idea like that? I mean, that's what, listen, that's what this word pressure means. See, the Bible is, it's got a lot in it. If you, and here's what Solomon is saying. We're all gonna go through situations like that. Like no one gets through this life where there, where there's, where, without intense pressure. And what he's saying is, son, if you fade away, if you fail under pressure, then what happens is your strength is too small. I've kind of put this in my own words. It's a different way to say it. The pressures of life reveal your inner strength. That's what Solomon is saying. And what he's really saying is that, and I just sent a tweet out, a tweet out this morning about this, what he's really saying is that our problems are not our problems. Son, everybody has problems. Everybody has relationship problems. Everybody has problems with work. Everybody has problems with money. Everybody's got some physical health problems. Everybody's got this person in their life that is driving them crazy. Everyone has, you know, these kids that are, you know, whatever. Everybody has pressure. The problem is not the problem, son. The problem is your capacity to deal with the problem. See, as Americans, and I don't know if people in other countries struggle with this too, we, we want to blame our problems, we want to point at the pressures of life and then say, well, if the pressure would stop, then life would be good. If the problems would go away, then life would be good. Then I could be happy. And that's the wrong way to look at things. The right way to look at things is to say, no, the problems are going to come. The pressures of life are going to come. The issue is really, can I get stronger on the inside to deal with the problems, to deal with the marriage struggles, to deal with the financial stress, to deal with the job, to deal with the whatever? And that's what we have to look at. We have to look at ourselves and not our problems. Jim Rome said it best. He said, don't wish things were easier. Wish you were better. Because if you're better, you could handle it, right? So let's talk about that. That's my approach to dealing with pressure. And it has helped me tre tremendously. I'm going to give you three ideas on how to build your capacity so that you can deal with the pressures of life better so that you don't quit. Number one, expect it to be hard. Expect it to be hard. We've got to come to grips with this. Life is just flat out hard. It is hard to fight off temptation. Oh my word, it is hard to fight, especially if you're drawn to alcohol or drugs or pornography. It is hard to just fight it off and stay away from that stuff, right? It is just flat out difficult. It is hard to have a successful marriage. Those of you who are not married, you probably know this because you've watched it with others, but those of you who are married, you know it's really hard to have a successful marriage and prefer someone over yourself and, and to, to crush your selfishness. And it's super hard to do that. It's super hard to raise children. It's just hard. It's fun. There's great moments. There's love. There's this. But then there's a lot of difficulty, a lot of hardship. It's difficult. And everywhere you look at life, it's just hard. It's hard to run a business. It's hard because people don't pay you after you do the service. It's, it's just it's so many things that are just hard. Hard is, is everywhere. And I think as Americans, I think what, what, what we, we've come to believe, and I don't know why we believe this, is that we think that hard is wrong. 
One of our staff members here, uh, her name is Rachel, she told me this a couple of, couple of months ago. She said, you know, I think she was quoting another one of our staff members. She said, no, hard, hard isn't wrong. Hard is just hard. Hard is not wrong. Hard is life. And we got to understand that, 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 that it, that's going to happen to us. It's going to touch us. It's hard to forgive somebody. It's hard, and then after you forgive them, it's hard to reconcile with them. It's hard to stay on a budget. It's hard to eat carrots instead of cookies. I mean, last night, my daughter comes home, you know, from the fireworks at the Franklin campus, and she's got, you know, cookies. And she says, here, Dad, here's some for you. You know, it's 930 at night. Like, don't eat it, 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 don't eat it. Give me those cookies. Give me those cookies. What is wrong with me? Like, I know better. Like, I know, I know this stuff. I know you, that's gonna, it's just a bunch of sugar. It's gonna mess your sleep up. It's like, I, I understand, but it's still hard. It's everything, everything's hard. Why is it so hard? It's just hard. Life is hard. Hard is not wrong. Hard is just hard. Marcus Aurelius was famous Roman emperor probably the best Roman emperor, and uh, unfortunately he wasn't very kind to Christians back in, that, back in the days of Christ, um, uh, early on in, in the early church. Anyway, he said something amazing about this concept of life being art. Listen to what he said. The art of living is more like wrestling than dancing because an artful life requires being prepared to meet and withstand sudden and unexpected attacks. I love that. It's more like, it's more like wrestling than it is dancing because you're getting things thrown at you, difficulties all of, a t- all of a sudden. Jesus said this. He said in John chapter 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Why are we so shocked when life gets hard? Why, why do we, we're like, whoa, I can't believe, another, I can't believe she did, I can't believe they did, I can't believe the, you know, this, the, the politicians, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. What, what did you expect? But he also says this, take heart, I have overcome the world. This is not the only life there is. Jesus is coming and he's gonna bring a different kingdom one day. And we await that kingdom and there'll be no lies and there'll be no deceit and there'll be no sin and there'll be no cancer and there'll be no pain and there'll be no tears. And I, I've overcome the world. I'm like, come on, hang on, hang on. For now you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We have to learn to expect hard things. I love the story of Thomas Edison back in December 10th, 1914, 5.30 in the morning. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before. It's fascinating. Ryan Holiday tells this story in his fantastic little book, The Obstacle is the Way, which I love that title. It says it all. The obstacle is actually the path forward. <clears throat> tells a story about Thomas Edison. 5.30 in the morning, there's this huge explosion. Edison's got 10 buildings. He's got this complex where he is inventing things and doing all this work with all kinds of materials and chemicals. Well, one building catches on fire, catches on fire, catches on fire. All 10 buildings are on fire. Six fire departments show up. They cannot put the blaze out. He's outside looking at this incredible fire, and this is what, this is what we're told he says to his 24-year-old son. Go get your mother and all her friends. They'll never see another fire like this again. <laughs> I just... He's not running around, he's not freaking out, he's not saying my life is over. He said, this is amazing, watch. Oh, come here, come here, look at that one, whoa. Oh, the flames are going. 
Later on, we would find out almost $920,000 of damage was done, which in today's money is $23 million. He told someone recently, uh, not recently, (laughs) he told someone after the fire, recently after the fire, he said, I'm 60, he said, I'm 67 years old. I'm going to pick things up and start over tomorrow. How do you have that mindset? He would go on to, to make $10 million the following year in inventions and different things that he had. And all of his buildings burnt down. Because I think that he developed this idea that, you know what, this is part of life. This is what it happens. This is the way it goes. Life is hard. Expect it. I want to tell people when they tell me their hard stories, did you expect it not to go that way? This may sound really, really dark. And please don't, I'm not, I'm not demented. I'm really not, I don't think. But people lose children. People have lost children in this church. I may lose a child. I've got three of them. I may get a call. He was in an accident. What am I going to do when I get that call? Well, hard, it ha- hard happens, right? It doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean God's not real. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Hard's just hard. Hard's not wrong. It was Wayne Dyer who said this. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That is absolutely true. So I've just, I look at hard differently today. The problem with me and the church back in 2006 and 7, the reason why I almost quit is because I, I'm like, why is it so hard? I love Jesus. I love the Bible. I love people. Why is this so hard? I was blown away with how hard it was. And I was, I was on the verge of saying, because this is hard, it must be wrong. Because this is hard, I must not be a good pastor. Because this is hard, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I was right there, right there. Until God saved me and said, no, 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 no. Hard is not wrong. Hard's just hard. Number two, the second thing you need to understand about enduring under pressure or building capacity to endure under pressure is that the pressure actually creates endurance. Pressure reveals how much endurance you have or your lack of endurance, but it also creates it. Listen, everybody knows this. Like, I go to the gym regularly. You may not be able to tell, but that's okay. (laughs) But I like to work out, and when we're in the gym, everybody knows that what they're there for is to put their muscles under tremendous pressure, to tear the fibers in their... That They're there to cause harm to their muscles because they know that once the muscles and the fibers tear, they grow back, and when they grow back, they grow back stronger. This is life. Like, we're trying to avoid the gym. We're trying to avoid problems. We think that's life. No, God says, I have to to bring problems into your life because it's the problems that cause you to get stronger and have more capacity to deal with even bigger problems. This is why James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the words that he did. Listen, listen carefully, come on. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, when pressures of any kind come your way, financial problems, relationship difficulties, things that are happening in the government that you don't like, all kinds of things inside, outside your life. Consider it an opportunity for great, say it with me, joy? What? How is that joy? 
How is it a joyful thing for me to have more problems and problems after those problems? Watch, this is what he says. For you know that when your faith is tested, for you know that when you're put in in a spot where you have to trust God like you've never trusted him before, your endurance has a chance to grow. When does our endurance grow? It grows when we face problems. It grows when we face difficulty. It grows when we're put in a spot where we've, we've had to you know, pray like we've never prayed before or trust like we've never trusted before. That's when we grow. Is this making sense? That's why it's an opportunity for great joy. We don't love pain for the sake of pain. We just love pain because we know it's gonna take us to the next level. Come on, I'm preaching to you guys. I don't hear you. I don't hear many amens. Like, we got to understand this. And then when we look at things differently, the things that we look at change. He continues. He says, so let endurance grow. Let it have its full effect. Because when endurance is fully developed, watch this, you'll be perfect and completely needing nothing. What is God doing? He's growing us up to become like Christ, just like Jesus. Well, how's he going to get us there? He's going to put us in places that are going to make us grow. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. It's painful. It's difficult. But hard is not wrong. Hard is just hard. And hard gets us to the next level. What if you looked at your problems like that? What if you looked at your pressures like that? What if you looked at the difficulties like that? You might feel differently about them. Then you might see the opportunity in it to grow. Then you might actually cooperate with God and get to the next level in your life. Isn't this beautiful? We need to learn. This is a skill. We need to learn the skill of enduring under pressure. Let me give you this last one, number three. You've got to stay focused on your why. Oh, this is so critical. This is so critical. You have to stay focused on your why. What's your why? Your why is your reason to hang in there. (laughs) Or I should say reasons to hang in there. The more you have, the better chance you're going to hang in there and not quit. Your why, your reason. Why should you keep going? I remember back in 2006 and 2007, why should I keep going with this church? It's clearly not working. People clearly don't want to come. They clearly are not bringing their friends. They're not giving their money and they're blah, 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 whatever, right? Why should I hang in here, God? And here's what God said to me. If you quit now, you'll never see what might happen in the future. See, that, what that was was a reason to hang in there. What's your reason? The Apostle Paul is perhaps the, 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 the largest influencer in the Bible, other than Jesus and maybe Peter, but I would argue Paul was more, even more influential than Peter. If you look at what he actually did and the churches that he launched and the books of the Bible that he wrote, 14 books in the New Testament were authored by Paul. He was beaten, he was abused, he was, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped with cords, he was beaten with sticks, he was pelted with stones, he was put in jail, he was left for dead, days and nights at sea, he, 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 he suffered from hunger, from thirst, He was completely persecuted, and he couldn't be stopped. And then in a letter to his young protege, Timothy, who he was discipling, he was mentoring, 2 Timothy, this is what Paul says to Timothy. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, Timothy. Listen, then he gives us his why. So I am willing to endure anything Bring it, whatever it is. You can beat me, you can lock me up, you can chain me, you can even kill me. If it will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus, to those God has chosen. See, Paul was completely driven, listen, by his reason, his why. 
He was called by God to take this message of grace, this message of mercy and reconciliation to everyone God had chosen. And so you couldn't stop the guy. He was unstoppable. Some of you are familiar with Viktor Frankl. He's a psychologist. He was a psychologist that was locked up in Auschwitz during the Holocaust. Somehow he managed to survive Auschwitz, which was responsible for like a million murders itself of the Jews. He would go on to write 30 books of which he's most famous for Man's Search for Meaning. He said this, once you know your why, you can survive almost anyhow. See, if, you're, if your reason for pushing forward is strong enough, you can push through, you can endure. Do you know your why? It could be, I want to make my mom and dad proud. It could be, I want to show up at, the, you know, at my judgment and I want to hear, you know, good and faithful servant, well done. Whatever, I, I don't know what your why should be, what your reason should be. I have lots of reasons for, for what I do, why I do what I do. One of, the, one of the reasons is I want my kids to go through college without debt. That might sound shallow, it might sound superficial, but I don't want them to be laden with all this college debt when they get out. So I got reasons to keep going and doing things and generating wealth so I can do these things for my family and for my church. Reasons, reasons, reasons are so powerful. They help you keep going under pressure. Do you know what your reasons are? What have we said today? We've said that people tend to quit under pressure. Solomon told his son, hey son, listen, if you fail in the day of adversity, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. In other words, the problems are not the problems. The problem is your capacity. Let's grow your capacity. How do we do that? We expect the problems. We expect them to come. We understand that problems build endurance. Pressure builds endurance. And we, and we drive our why deep down into our soul so that it keeps us going. Let me ask you a key question today. What if you didn't quit? What if you didn't quit? What if you didn't give up on that marriage? What if you didn't give up on hope? What if you didn't give up on God? Some of you are tempted today. This is the last. You say, I'll listen to one more sermon, and then I'm done with religion. I'm done with church. What, what if you just didn't give up on God? You got a lot of reasons to today, a lot of evil in the world today. Every time you look at you know, what's going on in the world, you see them. You can list them. All the injustices or the difficulties or the rioting or the looting or whatever, people getting beat up. What if you hung in there? What if you were three feet away from a breakthrough? What if you didn't quit? Julia Ward Howe said it like this. I love this quote. Life is like a cup of tea. The sugar is all in the bottom. I read that a few years ago and it really had an impact on me. Because life gets hard sometimes and you're like, man, I think I'm just gonna get rid of this cup, throw it out. But what I realize is that all of the good stuff, all of the sweet stuff, it comes at the end if you hang in there. If you go the distance. You see, Darby, let's go back to the story and then we'll wrap up. 
he heard that this junk man was getting millions out of the, out of the mine. And he made a decision in his life. He said, I will never again fall three, three feet away from reaching my goal. And so he went into life insurance. And he used this line every time he was, would come up to somebody and try to sell them life insurance. And, and uh, they would say, no, I don't really need any. I have some. Or, you know, and, and Darby would say to himself, he'd say, you know, I'm not going to accept your no as an answer because I did that one time. I was three feet away from gold. So let me make another presentation to you. And he would overcome that obstacle. And he became one of, back in his day, one of 50 people in the entire country who annually sold a million dollars of life insurance every single year. Because he said, I'm never gonna end up three feet away from my goal again. What if you're three feet away? What if you kept going? What if you didn't quit? What would happen? What would you see? What would you experience in your life? We need to develop this skill of enduring under pressure. You know, Paul was somebody who endured. We just read about that in Hebrews chapter 12. But you know who endured even more than Paul? It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He did. He did. In, in Hebrews, we, re, we actually read about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, watch this, he endured the cross. Now, that, we can read that really quick, but what does that mean? He endured nails going through his hands. He endured nails going through his feet. He endured the mockery that, that, that came to him before he was nailed to the cross. The crown of thorns that they shoved on his head. The whipping that he took on his back where it tore all the skin off of his back. The flogging that he took. The punches that he took when they spit on him when they pulled out his beard. So we, we read these words really quick and it seems clean. It's nothing, it's completely opposite than clean. It's filthy, it's embarrassing, it's disgusting, it's excruciatingly painful, it's excruciatingly humiliating. It's, it's the worst kind of death you could have ever died. And the Romans designed it that way to bring about the most possible pain to a human being. And he hung there hour after hour until he died, until he suffocated. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, disregarding its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he do that? Why did he go, why did the Son of God allow those people he created to kill him in such a horrific way? Why would he do that? Why would God do that? For the joy set before him, what is that? You have to understand what that is because that's his why. That was his reason. The reason he endured the cross is so that one day he could have a body of people, a group of people that would be his own, that he would lead in the kingdom of God. He, he endured the cross so that you can be invited into life with God. It can begin now, but it goes past this life. See, one day this earth will be will be renewed, it'll be restored, it'll be changed. And what we'll have is a kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace where there is no death and there are no political parties and there, there is no murder and there, is, there aren't people walking up to people, shooting people in the streets. A, a place where there is no cancer and there is no sin and there is no deceit and there are no lies and there is no adultery and there's no sexual immorality. It's a, a place of peace, a place of righteousness. And, and, and that's the joy that Jesus had. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to create a kingdom, a group of people that he invites you into. That's why he did it. Have you stepped into that kingdom? Have you, have you become part of, of what Jesus imagined in his mind when he was going to the cross, this joy set before him? Have you stepped into that? Will you be there? Will you enter in? Jesus would say to you, repent and turn into the kingdom of God. It's right at hand. Trust in me. Ask me to forgive your sins. I'll cleanse you. I'll, I'll, I'll send my spirit into you and we will begin life together. Maybe today's the day where you make a a decision, a choice to enter into the kingdom of God by trusting in Jesus. He died for you on the cross. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. You can take these words wherever you are, whatever campus you are, wherever you're watching and do business with God right now and step into the kingdom of God. Say this to him right now. Dear Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross, the humiliation the excruciating pain, the suffering. Thank you for doing it in my place, for my sin. I believe you paid the penalty so I could go free, so I could be forgiven. So I ask you right now to wash me cleanse me, forgive me of all my sin. I turn from it and I trust you to be my savior. And from this day forward, teach me to love you, follow you, cherish you, honor you, to obey you, help others find you. Thank you for your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Can we give God glory right now? God is working in people's hearts. I would like to put a box. If you prayed that prayer, if that was your moment, you just did business with God, we put together a little gift for you. We call it our saved box. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever reaches out to God will be saved from their sins. If you would text the word SAVED to 65248, we would love to send one of these to you in the mail. Inside there's a Bible, there's some information about how to get started in the church, and also a cup, a mug from us to you, just to say congratulations. One more time, church, can we give God glory, amen? Come on, nice and loud, amen? He's, he's doing wonderful things. I'm gonna pray right now and then we're gonna hand things off to our local teams. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of wisdom from King Solomon. If we fail under pressure, our faith, our strength is too small. Help us to build our capacity. Help us to expect hard, to understand you bring it into our life to make us stronger and to know our why and to get clear in our reasons. Help us to persevere and endure when things get tough. I know you have good things for us. Help us to develop this skill. We love you and we give you all praise and all honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. We'll hand things off right now to our local teams. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.